Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois And by EasternChristianMedia.com A broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's EasternChristianMedia.com Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm your host, Father Thomas Loya. First of all, I want to thank all of you for tuning in, and especially those of you who are always with us and always so kind and supportive of us. Thanks for your kind words and letters and so on, especially our good friend Sonia out there in Orinda, California. And of course, as always, Charles Cook, the one who kind of got us all started here years ago at Light of the East, and he's still with us here today. Charles Cook out in Saginaw, Michigan. Thank you, Sonia and Charles, for all of your prayers and for listening in. And so, again, we really appreciate all of you. We appreciate all of you who listen to us all over the country and all over the world. We also appreciate whenever you write to us and offer some comments or questions. Got a nice little letter here from Melissa, and Melissa says this. says, even though all the episodes of Light of the East are fabulous. Well, thank you, Melissa. I'm humbled by that. <laughs> I just wanted to let you know that I especially enjoyed this week's episode. I love hearing about the Desert Fathers, especially St. Anthony. I read about him in grad school, and he and St. Athanasius have never left my memory. I think about their lives often. They were truly in love with our Lord and were incredible witnesses of the faith and great communicators of the gospel, even though they had none of the conveniences that we have now. I mean, we're still talking about the 1,700 years later. That's better than Facebook and Twitter combined. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much, Melissa. And I'm so happy that you can be moved by, as you said, the example of great spiritual masters of the church, especially the Eastern Church and in the desert, Masters that were around years and years ago, centuries ago, centuries ago, 1,700 years, as Melissa's pointed out here. And we're especially thankful that these riches of the Eastern Church can move you today, because that's our mission here on Light of the East, is to share with you the riches of the Church, East and West, but in particular, the genius and riches of the Eastern Lung of the Church, as John Paul II mentioned. And also, it seems like these Desert Fathers were a big hit among a number of you. I had another letter here from Joby. And he says, hello, Father Loya. I'm an avid listener of your show, Light of the East. My question was in relationship to Light of the East. I wanted to know what is the differences between the Philokalia and the sayings of the Desert Fathers? Does the Philokalia cover the same content? Thank you, Joby. Well, thank you, Joby, for your question. And again, it's relative to our program about the Desert Fathers and the monks of the Eastern Church. 
in their writings and their sayings. Well, to answer your question, Joby, the Philokalia, what that is, is basically it's a collection of texts written in Greek between the 4th and 15th centuries by spiritual masters of the Orthodox tradition, compiled in the 18th century and first published in Venice in 1782. And it has a profound influence on the spiritual life of the Eastern churches and on us today, as many of you have mentioned by writing to me. The Sayings of the Desert Fathers is a more recent book. And by the way, the Philokalia is actually a three-volume set. It's a three-volume set. It was compiled by St. Nicodemus of the Holy Mountain and St. Macarius of Corinth, again, a few centuries ago. And it spans quite a few centuries. Now, the Sayings of the Desert Fathers is just basically one book. And it covers the Desert Fathers from the earlier centuries. It doesn't go quite as far as the Philokalia does and is a more recent translation. But both of them are excellent sources for the wisdom and little tidbits from the lives of the Desert Fathers of the Eastern Church. Remember, monasticism began in the East. Monasticism is, as we keep saying in this program, one of the great geniuses, the gifts of the Eastern Church. It is actually the soul of the Church. And in fact, John Paul II in his magnificent document, Orientale Lumen, from which we get the name of this program because it means light of the East. John Paul II said in that document that monasticism is the reference point for all of the baptized, a reference point for all of the baptized. And that's why reading and steeping ourselves in the lives of these great desert fathers is essential to the spiritual life, especially with books and sources like the Philokalia or the Saying the Desert Fathers or any of the, the lives of the saints, as Melissa was talking about. When you really get into them, you see what incredible, incredible Christians they were, radically, radically in love with God. And they lived lives of asceticism. Now, a lot of times people don't understand what I mean when I say asceticism. Asceticism actually means those disciplines of self-denial, sort of the killing of the tyranny of the fallen side of our passions, you know, our concupiscence, our, you know, those vices that we talk about, or the seven deadly sins, you know, anger and lust and gluttony and so on. To kill the tyranny of that, and there is a tyranny about them since original sin, we have to exercise a lot of physical, spiritual, emotional, and spiritual discipline. A lot of practicing of the cross, dying to self and rising to our true selves, kind of a stripping away of what is not our real self. And the only way to do that is by saying no to ourselves, not in a sadistic or pessimistic or depressing sense, but rather in a, what we call in the Eastern Church, a bright sense, a bright sadness, the bright sadness of repentance, where we're very much aware of our sins and our fallenness, and we say no to the tyranny of those passions, only to say yes to our true selves. Remember, our true selves as we like to say in the Eastern churches, our true selves are actually the image and likeness of God. That's the truth about us. Our sin is not the truth about us. It's the truth about our current reality, but it's not the truth about the human person. The Eastern churches like to stress the idea that the human person, the starting point there, the honest definition is that we are made in the image and likeness of God. We had an origin and a destiny, as John Paul II would say in his Theology of the Body. We had an origin and a destiny for greatness, for holiness, for wholeness, for sanctification, deification, glorification. We're designed to live on and on in eternity with God, with our bodies and souls intact. In fact, that's how we were supposed to be on this earth. Death was never supposed to be the separation of body and soul. We were always to remain integrated. But then as we passed into eternal life, body and soul together, we would be transfigured and glorified, come to our ultimate state and destiny in heaven 
with the bridegroom Christ forever. That's the truth about our being human. And to get to that truth, we have to do a whole lot of stripping away of our false selves, a lot of overcoming of this power of our fallen passions. And so the great desert fathers had tremendous ascetical discipline. Some of them, oh, the stories are incredible. Some of them would actually go one hour a day of sleep, just one hour of sleep. They would fast incredibly. They had very, very harsh lives. And this wasn't like a self-flagellation or a self-punishment. This was really a, a great, rigorous, ascetical discipline of continually and ever more deeply saying no to self so as to say yes to our true selves. Now, many of these desert fathers eventually became the great fathers of the church. In other words, the, the theological fathers of the church. In other words, the patristics, people like Basil the Great, Gregory the Theologian, and John Chrysostom. In the Byzantine liturgical calendar, they each have their own feast days, but so characteristic of the East, which has a propensity sometimes for kind of like, well, division a lot because we're sort of a high-impact church. We tend to be small in our ecclesiology, and so when you have a smaller ecclesiology, you have a higher impact. And sometimes when people and things impact, sometimes what grows out of that is divisions or splits. Where there's a big split in the Byzantine Empire over who was the greatest, believe it or not. Imagine those are good old days. You used to fight about stuff like that. So much so that the church had to actually say, okay, we're going to celebrate all of them on one day together. Yeah, they've got their individual feasts, and you can all play your favorites with them, but to keep the peace and to stop this division and argue about who is the greatest, we're going to come together on January 30th and we're going to celebrate the three holy hierarchs together. They're all equally great, just different. Equally great, but different. It's Basil, Gregory, Gregory the theologian, that is, and also St. John Chrysostom. St. John Chrysostom and also St. Basil the Great both have a divine liturgy named after them, which is the principal Eucharistic liturgy in the Byzantine churches. They were, John and Basil were responsible primarily for what we might call the Eucharistic prayer or the anaphora, and so that's why these liturgies are named after them. But this is the type of thing that we pray on this feast day of the three holy hierarchs, which is January 30th. We say this, what songs of joy shall we crown the God-bearing mystics and preachers? They were the most outstanding theologians of the true faith. Basil the Great who revealed truths about God, the sublime theologian Gregory, and John the Golden Mouth. They are fittingly glorified by the Trinity, the Lord who grants his great mercy. And there's one more passage I'd like to read. And again, this is from the prayers of the Byzantine Church for the Feast of the Three Holy Hierarchs, January 30th. Let us proclaim our songs with trumpets so that they who are celebrating may dance, and let us rejoice and leap for joy in the precious feast of our teachers, the kings and princes gathered together and acclaim the holy bishops in song, who like three great rapid rivers overflow the teachings of the Holy Spirit. Shepherds and teachers are they, the triune priestly mystics of the most precious trinity. Having come together, let us praise the wise philosophers and shepherds of priests, the guides of sinners and helpers of the poor, the consolers of those in sadness and companions of travelers, pilots of those at sea, who fervently guide all people everywhere. Let us praise the blessed bishop, saying, O most holy teachers, hasten to help the faithful escape the snares of life and deliver them from eternal pain by your prayers. So, these prayers and this feast day help to cure the divisions that occurred in the Byzantine church over the three great holy hierarchs, John Basil and Gregory. But we're going to talk more about divisions in the church and how to heal them when we return. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's Reunion 
and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Why does he have to watch every single bowl game this week? Right, ladies? This is Father Thomas J. Loy with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. Men love football for the same reason they love to make love, become a father, seek adventure, experience mystery, and see beauty. For men, football is an experience of the spells of mystery through a sport. Mystically speaking, the point of football is to plant the seed in the end zone. The coveted end zone can only be approached with the greatest attentiveness and finesse. A past reception becomes the conception of six new points, and the team celebrates their fruitfulness. So remember, ladies, football for him is an experience of the very dynamics contained in the spousal mystery. And gentlemen, don't forget where your real experience of the spousal mystery is found. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to TaborLife.org. That's TaborLife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And we left off before the break with this idea of disunity in the church. And we were talking about a certain disunity even in the Eastern Church over what, um, well, I don't want to see disunity, but I would like to see greater fervor if we're going to argue about things, argue about things like who's the greatest saint, not who's the greatest quarterback, who's the greatest saint. Well, we do have disunity. We have unity and disunity, rather, even beyond the Eastern churches. We have disunity throughout the whole church, the whole mystical body of Christ. And this past week, we came through a wonderful week of prayer for Christian unity. We'll talk a little bit about that with a special guest today. His name is Jason Rankin. Jason, welcome to Light of the East. Thank you. Thank you, Father Loya. Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, I spent a number of years from 2002 through 2010 working for the Office for Ecumenical and Interreligious Affairs of the Archdiocese of Chicago. This particular office, uh, as many people may be unaware, is dedicated to promoting Christian unity as well as promoting interreligious relations, mm. relations with Jews, Muslims, and those from other religions. And it's uh, an office of the Archdiocese uh, that is directed by Sister Joan McGuire, and uh, Cardinal George uh, has given his full support by attending a number of events throughout the years. And one of the main things that we just came through at the office uh, was the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity, which was held from January 18th through the 25th. 
And this uh, week of prayer every year is dedicated to the promotion of unity among Christians, uh, unity among the divided body of Christ, because there is, as you had just indicated, there is a unity that we do treasure, and this is our baptism in Christ Jesus. And so we continue to pray, and even though the week is now over, we continue to pray now in the rest of the year uh, for this unity that Christ desired. And uh, in the words of uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 17, where Jesus Christ prayed that all may be one. This is what we continue to pray for. Well, Jason, uh, this whole the history of this week is of particular interest to us as Eastern Catholics because, could I be so bold to say the real history of this can go all the way back to some of the attempted reunions of Leones and Florence, uh, yes. but there was also some things that happened after that that helped this to come into being. Yes, and uh, when many people think of uh, the Protestant churches, they think of the 16th century, and this was another unfortunate time of division in uh, the church. And uh, what I want to really call our listeners to is to the fast-forwarding to the turn from the 19th to the 20th century, uh, when the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity originally, which was known as the Church Unity Octave, uh, began. And as the 20th century went on, uh, the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity became a means for Catholics, both Eastern Catholics and Latin Rite Catholics, uh, as well as members of the Orthodox and Protestant churches, to come together and to have this particular eight days to pray universally that all may be one. And so this is something that uh, we pray throughout the year, but we had prayed we had prayed especially at the time uh, just which just passed for unity among all Christians. And again, of interest to our, our listeners, you, you had a, a major event held at a Greek Orthodox cathedral. That's correct. Uh, on uh, the last uh, Tuesday evening, we had a group of uh, scholars come together at Annunciation Greek Orthodox Cathedral here in Chicago. And for those who have never attended uh, a Greek Orthodox church, it's an especially informative time for people to uh, really observe and to really get a sense of what you have often referred to, Father Loya, as that sacramental presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the main things that happened throughout uh, at this point was not there was an open invitation to uh, all individuals for a number of hours of the day, and there was also a guided discussion of the temple as an icon of the universe that was held that evening, and there was also a discussion uh, on visions of Christian unity by four of the uh, scholars from the Orthodox, the Catholic, the United Methodist, and the Episcopal traditions. Hmm. When dialogue happens, Jason, between the Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church, what does it seem to center on? What are the sticking points? I'd say uh, the number one sticking point, at least now, is the role of the papacy. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that uh, both Pope Benedict XVI, as well as his predecessor, Pope John Paul II, especially recognized. And uh, one of the main areas that the dialogue uh, often centers around is the kind of local, uh, the local church emphasis within the Eastern uh, churches, the Orthodox churches, so the Pope is really seen as first among equals. Mm-hmm. 
while in the Catholic Church, uh, the Pope has a more special recognition mm-hmm. in his role and his identity. One of the things that Pope John Paul II did in his 1994 encyclical, Ut Unum Sint, which comes from that all may be one, that phrase of John 17, is he invited uh, all in the in Christianity, including those members of the Orthodox Church, uh, churches, to uh, in, have a dialogue about the role of the papacy, hmm. uh, recognizing that this is something that is still open, and it's an open uh, it's it's an open question of how to resolve these differences, and what do we do then uh, with the other kind of more minor issues that that occur mm-hmm. in uh, the division between the Catholic Church and the Orthodox churches. It seems to me that the Orthodox churches are rather in, impressed with, uh, well, both popes, yes. uh, John Paul II, but also Benedict now currently, and for, for different reasons. For Benedict, certainly, I think, because of his sense of worship, uh, of liturgy and Eucharist, yes. and also of his scholarship. You know, he's a very, very... Uh, accurate, honest scholar. You know, he doesn't have an agenda. In other words, he's not. Yes. He, he's there to arrive at the truth, uh, mm-hmm. and not necessarily to say, "Well, I got to make sure I get the Orthodox in line with me, the Pope." You know, mm-hmm. uh, he his he seems like his approach is very much um, a, of a very honest scholar, and I think the Orthodox appreciate that. And I think you, the the word you mentioned, the dialogue of truth, is especially important yes. uh, there. And so the dialogue itself. Uh, is represented by a number of national and international uh, initiatives that are done. There are ne- there are many national Catholic Orthodox dialogues that mm-hmm. exist in the United States and are promoted by the uh, United States Catholic bishops. Mm-hmm. Uh, also on the international level as well, the Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity in the Vatican also fosters and encourages uh, these dialogues. So they're not just... Uh, photo opportunities mm-hmm. on a given occasion, they are ongoing. And so yes. many issues that you can see, you if you go to the Vatican's website and if you go to the U.S. Catholic Bishop's website, you can see the results of many of these. And yeah. so there's great fruit there. Yes, and I like John Paul II's words, and you mentioned Ut Unum Sint. He says, it is absolutely clear that ecumenism, the movement of promoting Christian unity, is not just some sort of appendix which is added to the church's traditional activity. Rather, ecumenism is an organic part of her life and work and consequently must pervade all that she is and does. Yes, and these quote, that quotation that you mentioned really embodies what we really hope for and pray for as Catholics involved in the ecumenical movement and for all Christians is that ecumenism is not something that's just to be brought out in this week that has now passed, but it's something Mm -hmm. that we should continue to pray for and work for throughout the year. And one of the suggestions that Cardinal George had mentioned in a letter to all of the Catholics of the Archdiocese uh, announcing the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity was that one simple way you can do this is to pray the Our Father. This is a prayer Mm. that unites Catholics, unites Orthodox, unites Protestants. And it's a way that you can do something very simply. It's not um, something that you need to take in a lot of additional time, but it's something that unites you to the prayer and uh, the prayer of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, every every person can do it in their own lives, their own exactly. home, together, the Our Father. Boy, what a simple, uh, but as Each true, day. 
Yes. But yeah. as truth is, simple yet profound. Yeah. You know, a simple thing to do, but profound. In fact, imagine we'd all be saying the Our Father for the sake of unity. That'd be incredible. Yes. Incredible grace. And again, this is where can people go to find out more about what, what uh, the department does? The department, uh, if you go to the Archdiocese website, which is archchicago.org, and you click on departments at the top of the page, and then you click on ecumenical and interreligious affairs, they will have a lot of information uh, on resources for Christian unity as well as dialogue with other religions. The phone number of the office is 312-534-5325. That number again is 312-534-5325. And that's the Office for Ecumenical and Interreligious Affairs of the Archdiocese. Oh, Jason, thank you so much for being on our program today. God bless you and all of your work and all your great studies. Doing some high, high-level studies, I understand. At, Loy- <laughs> at Loyola, second year of a doctoral program in theology. Well, thank you very much. God bless you, and I will thank all of you for listening. And remember, pray, be our Father, the Lord's Prayer for Christian unity. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>